0: Hey everyone, what's going on? This is David Avalon with another episode of Breaking the Guard with me and Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, me and Robert start recapping a little bit over the events of the weekend, including a grappling match between Roberto Jimenez and Keenan Cornelius, which gets us into a conversation about the importance of experience as far as in competition and training. And we also start talking about the different rules and how those things can affect competition, like doing heel hooks with a gi or just doing heel hooks in general. And um, so we go into a, a bit of some of our backstories and some, uh, some stuff that's happened to us in the past. I think that will be very useful for anyone and entertaining. So I'll let you guys go ahead and enjoy. One side note, unfortunately, uh, I, I didn't notice, but Rob's mic was ruffling into his shirt a little bit. So you'll hear a little static here and then. Hopefully, it doesn't distract you too much from the conversation. And I hope you're able to enjoy it. Before we get started, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, which is DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. DrysdaleBJJOnline.com is Robert's online video site where he has a collection of different courses uh, ranging from his 10 best submissions from the guard to... Escapes from the Mount. Uh, and run. he just added a course from Felipe Andrew, who is the number one ranked IBJJF black belt in the world, uh, a, f- a course on footlocks with the gi. So it's going over IBJJF friendly footlocks, but don't be alarmed. Friendly doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, <laughs> it'll hurt plenty. And uh, Robert's been telling me all about Felipe's. Uh, Footlock game is very powerful, so you do yourself a favor and check it out. It's very affordable, and just visit DrysdaleBJJOnline.com to learn more. Hey guys, what's going on? David Avalon here with Robert Drysdale for another episode of Breaking the Guard. Robert, how you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, man. I had a fun night last night with the boys, and uh, here we are. Let's do our 26th episode. 26, yeah. All right. number
0: 26. Um, I was just talking to you, or actually, you were just telling me um, we had the uh, what's it? Who's number one from uh, Flow Grappling? Yes. And we had uh, Keenan Cornelius go up against Roberto Jimenez. Yes. And uh, I remember when I first got here, I think. Herberto uh, was training at your gym he was at Brown Belt at the time yeah. and he's super young I think he's what like 17 or and I mean he, now he's at, at, 18 yeah, yeah at the
1: time he would have been 17, 18 yeah. and I
0: remember rolling with him and he was like going he was giving he, me everything yeah, animal. He's an I'm an like animal. man this kid's a freaking monster
1: <laughs> no I, I first heard of him when he uh, um, there was like some, I think Royale some tournament they did at Studio 5 for 40 okay. and he was a blue belt and he was beating some because I think they mixed up all the from my from memory I don't, don't quote me but I think they mixed blue, purple, brown, and he won the whole thing as a blue belt. Oh, wow. Which was pretty impressive, right? Yeah, um, so, yeah, so we just had a big win against Keenan this um, this past weekend.
0: It was a very close match.
1: I, I saw bits and pieces of it on Instagram. But I didn't see the whole thing.
0: The the end, I, I saw uh, some people had some controversy with it. I don't know. I'm, I'm not the ref. I don't know the call. But uh, Roberto was up by two. And Keenan had his warm guard, and I guess he was doing what was called warm wrestling, because he was yeah. holding on to the lapel at one point, and he was uh, rushing into Roberto, and then Roberto pulled guard. So some people were saying, oh, that should have been a takedown, because Keenan initiated, like, a forward motion or whatnot, but other people said, oh, it was a very smart guard pull, because it happened before, like, a takedown could begin. I don't know. Yeah, but um, either way, it was a it was a pretty good match.
1: Yeah, from my understanding, Flow Grappling was responsible for the promotion, but I think the logistics of it was done by Seth. Oh, okay. I think so. I'm not sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Is it a fight to win? Yeah, it, fight to win.
1: Yeah, if I think that's what they because it had a similar form. It reminded me a lot to fight. So i wonder if like it was probably some cross.
0: But they were. We got a fight to win. But I could be wrong. I've, I've had comp- I coached competitors for one fight to win in Miami and. It was more like a judging criteria. They weren't using points. Yeah, yeah. no, they have a different system. I think so this the was rules scored by This was, was
1: IBJJF system, yeah. from my understanding.
0: It was scored by points. And uh, Roberto, I think, scored all of his points with Grimbolos, enough, which was crazy. <laughs> right yeah,
1: the thing is, um, strategies is, is, I think that, I mean, <clears throat> Keenan allowed him to pull guard. I mm-hmm. saw that first part, right? And a lot of times, you know, you, whoever sets the the um, the stand in the beginning of the fight normally dictates the, the pace and where the fight's going to take place, right? So, I, I always advise people to take a lot of care about beginning of the fight. You have to be extra sharp, I feel like. Um, it's You have to be sharp the whole fight, really. Yeah. Right? Like I feel like in the beginning, it's one of those things where that's going to determine where the fight's going to take place. So, there's no room for error, right? Now, I think maybe there's a mistake there letting him pull. <clears throat> or maybe not. Maybe that was part of his strategy. But... Um, Yeah, it's a great win, man. What a way to debut. Beat one of the top black belts in the world. First match as a black belt. Very impressive. Yeah, not bad. It's just, but it reinforces something I've always said. People think there's this enormous difference between, you know, competitive blue belts and competitive purple belts, and there's a huge jump, and the truth is it's not that big of a jump. It's mainly experience, like a badass brown belt. Can hang with just about any black belt in the world. Now, they may not, you know, probably not gonna win the, the black belt division, but he'd be up there with the top dogs. And that's what happens as soon as they get their black belts. What happens? The next, if they're winning brown belt, the next year they're placing black belt. Yeah. They're right there. If they're not on the podium, they're very close to it. So I think that the, the we have this, we mythologize the black belt so much. Like you're supposed to be the superhero the day you get your black belt. And the truth is, the guys that are winning at purple and brown belt level, And, man, they're like a notch behind guys like Keenan.
0: Yeah, well, I think one of the main things of being a competitor that you can attest to is the mental game. Yeah. And if you're already, I mean, if you're competing as a white belt, that's not really the same. But once you're getting into, like, I think purple territory, you're going against people who are very competitive at that point. Yeah. And they're very skilled. So the level of competition could be just as fierce as far as the mental, the, the amount of desire those competitors have. So that might not change that much. If anything, they might be even hungrier at that point because they're they're, training just because they're trying to come up the the ranks. You know, so if you still have that same mindset, the skill disparity is not as much, and I don't think it's as important either. Um, The type of game that you're going to play is probably not going to change all that much for the for the most part as you move up the ranks. You're known as the beam bowl guy or you're the leg lock guy. You're probably still going to be that same guy throughout your career because that's what's made you really strong. So I mean, you're still just gaining inches on that aspect. and As long as you don't have any giant weaknesses in your game, they're not going to really be... I don't think, like you say, going from brown to black is going to be a huge... No, it, it, I think
1: the experience is the big thing. I think that's like... the Because, you know, even if you come up through ranks, white through brown, and you're competing like every other weekend, you're still far behind someone who's had a black, but for five, six years in terms of experience. Yeah. But you're right, they might be hungrier. I think the technical disparity is a lot smaller than people think it is, um, but it's, it's more of a, a experience. Like they're lacking the, they haven't made enough mistakes yet. Where someone who's been a black belt for five years, six years competing, yeah. they've made so many mistakes, and the more mistakes you make, the less room there is for more mistakes. I'm talking tactically, right? We're talking like beginning of the fight, knowing I don't want to be here with this guy, I really want to be here. And you don't, another thing is you know yourself, you know your limitations better. I think one thing about being, you know, like hungry and, and, and young in that sense is that you're unaware of your limitations and you're what you can and can't do. There's a lot of ambition, like a lot of hunger, but you don't always know yourself too well. You know, an experience gives you that. Like I know that I can really beat Dave here, but I can't beat Dave there. Right. Whereas like someone who is young is just like. I'll beat Dave anywhere. You know, like, right. so sometimes it comes with that hunger—is just being like, "I'll fight you anywhere." You know, less strategical, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to get at.
0: No, for sure. I, I think now the, there's so many competitions going on that the younger guys are gonna have a lot of experience, maybe more experience than someone who was a black belt earlier on could have gotten, because there weren't like when I started doing grappling competitions like in 2000. It was like one every four months, yeah. and you're getting like one, two matches. Yeah. You know, so I remember like my brother and I early on had the advantage that since we came from wrestling, in wrestling in three months you get like thirty, forty matches. You know, so like we already had several hundred competition experiences, whereas. Most guys here, you know, at least, I don't know how, I think in Brazil, you probably had much more of a competition scene. More than here at, the, yeah, at more that than, time. Yeah, at that time. But the guys here, I mean, some of them, this is like the first grappling match or the second one they're doing. I've already done like a couple hundred in wrestling. Yeah. So like competition-wise, I am already know like, okay, how to deal with the nerves and how to, you know, warm up and all that. Whereas I remember, where I would watch people in warm-ups and just—it's <laughs> still like that. It's still, it's still—I mean, it's still so inadequate. Yeah. You know, people are coming in and they're they're breaking their first sweat on, on the, the mats. mats. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's it has to do with the sport being very young too. But you're right. Like, um, you know, the uh, back in the day, I remember? Like, I was I was in, I was in Vegas in '99 and 2000. at um, John Lewis's school, and there was the Copa Pacifica. Okay. Kleber yeah. Luciano, I think ran that one, and then there was a Joe Moreira invitation. <laughs> That was it. That was it. There was nothing else. You know, and then I think later Grappler's Quest started. They were all over the place. And I never even fought Naga because it came only later. You know, I the think North they were mo- I think yeah, the they st- were... yeah, the, yeah, on the East Coast, I think. Yeah, they I
0: guess were... K- so from the Northeast. Yeah. And uh, I remember the first combat, grappling competition I did was actually some type of karate, full contact karate event. And it was on carpet. Yeah. Right. And I remember my brother, It was like, this was like 99, maybe 2000. And it's carpet, and it was two like I guess like full-contact karate guys, yeah. but it was grappling rules. And I'm looking like we're doing this in carpet. <laughs> like, you can throw and stuff. He's like, yeah, you can do it. I'm like, chill, all right. So, fortunately, they didn't really know much what they were doing, so yeah. I took them down. But I remember I did an armbar on the guy, and I almost knocked myself out. It was like a mounted armbar, so yeah. I went, yeah. and my head hit the the back, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank God I finished the armbar, but I learned a lesson that day. I'm like, on oh, the street, you gotta tuck your chin in. Yeah, yeah man. Like,
1: that's, that's the thing about training the match. it creates a false sense of um, security when yes. it comes to grappling. Because like, oh, I can smoke everyone on the ground. Like, when you put concrete, a curb, with you know a, a slope or like obstacles in the way, it changes things dramatically. It's like self defense is like a whole new ball game, man. It's not something you can really. Uh, 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 her prepare for in a very objective way. You for can sure. have a loose idea of how to defend yourself. I mean, let me rephrase that. Not a loose idea. You can have a good understanding of what to do and what not to do in certain situations, but you can't prepare because it's not a controlled environment. It never is. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of variables.
0: Sorry, I remember that. And then the next grappling tournament was Naga. It was like a Naga Orlando, I think, in like two thousand one. Um, um, and we competed in that. But that from that point. I don't think he ran another Naga for a while and my brother and I started hosting tournaments because we needed to compete and we wanted to create the venue ourselves. Yeah, so we were doing like we were flying the Naga banner. We had spoke with Kip, like, oh, we'll represent you just the yeah. and just run events." Actually, was
1: the first time I heard. and like, I remember you. You had these yellow shorts with like black stripe on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I thought you owned the event or something because <laughs> you were always like flying the Naga flag. I remember that.
0: Well, he, he uh, was a, a big time supporter of us early yeah. in, you know. And I think it's partly because, you know, we helped spread the word on Naga because before us there wasn't a Nogi grappling scene. In, in the Florida, US. yeah like in South Florida particularly and uh we ran like eight or nine tournaments over like a two year period for kip for kip that's I mean it was cool. our event but we were you know it's like not a sponsored yeah you know? yeah yeah and uh I remember back then like big numbers for us was like 300 competitors you know that's like man It's that, very that, impressive and then, that, or, that, yeah. that, and but there was no internet really back then so It was making mail-out flyers, phone calls. By the way,
1: we sound way older than we actually are. It's like, that was not that long ago. People, (laughs) We can say it's before the internet. The internet existed, but but, but it wasn't like... It was hard to reach out to people like it is now. Like, the tools that we have
0: now didn't exist. Oh, yeah, Yeah. for sure. I mean, this is like 2002. internet was for emails. That was it. Yeah, nobody... YouTube wasn't really a thing like that, you know, where you could have a video resource. (laughs) People weren't like signed up for email lists. It wasn't a, you yeah. know like you had to be a super nerd to be yeah. into it. that. I was, mean, it was
1: it was you had to mail people stuff.
0: You had to mail people stuff, but yeah, it was the vehicles for getting that information out yeah. was excessive, especially to an idiot like me and you know, my brother, where we weren't business savvy at that point. You know, we were just like making things happen on the fly. Like, how do you do this? Oh, okay, this is yeah. trying to do it. You know, like looking back, I'm like, man, it's impressive that my brother, who was most of the brains of that operation. was able to pull it off because this is before we had actually met with lloyd irvin and understood like the business systems but we go we were like 17 18 running these things it's kind of crazy it's pretty impressive (laughs) it's totally nuts you know because we didn't really it's just winging it but uh, yeah i remember uh we like 300 competitors i was like man we we killed them yeah And you look now, man, they get like 1,200-something competitors. Like, oh, it's insane. Yeah, it's it's gotten yeah gotten
1: huge. Um, yeah, but going back to the experience thing you we were talking about, like I, I was just talking to Max about this the other day, like how much they wrestle and how much experience they got. And even though like one of the reasons I left the United States in 2000 was I wanted to compete more. There were like two tournaments on the West Coast, like maybe two, maybe three tournaments. We would jump into judo tournaments yeah. just to get the experience. And in Brazil, the competition scene was a little more advanced. It's still not as advanced as it is here or what or as it, as it is in Brazil now, but you can compete once a month if you yeah. really want to, right? And we got the experience, but it's still nothing compared to what you get in wrestling. You know, and I think Marcos Tunney probably has like over 1,000 matches, like over 1,000 matches.
0: Yeah, for and sure. I was trying
1: to think how many I have. I'm like, I don't know, like, best-case scenario, 300? Like, I don't think I made it through. I don't think I have 300 matches. You know, and you get some of these guys and he's like, he's like, you know, straight out of college, over a thousand matches. He's in his early 20s and he's competed over a thousand times. Right. And to me, that right there is priceless. You know, you you really get to know yourself, your your limitations and who you are. Um. You know, tactically, like, all of it. You know, I'm a big fan. And, you know, with the conversation started like this. We were talking about how can boxing do the same thing in the amateur. They'll have, like, 100 amateur boxing sure. matches. And the guys in MMA should do the same. That was kind of like the argument. I'm like, I don't think it's the same. And, and you know, because when it comes to th- sports like jiu and wrestling, I mean, you get injured. You train hard. Sure. It's rough on your body. We get that. But I don't think getting hit in your head for 100 fights is a good idea, period, for longevity, yeah. even though the, you need the experience. I can't see, like, oh, oh, 100 fights amateur, and then you're gonna go pro and you're gonna get another 30 fights, and you're like, that's 130 fights where you're yeah. getting punched in the head, and that's not counting the sparring, which is where most of the damage comes from, really. Sure, you know, so yeah, I always some sports you. it's just not, it's not, you, it's hard to get that experience.
0: Yeah, I think I'm not a big fan of amateur MMA in its current formation Because it's just MMA with no pay right? and
1: with less time. It's that yeah, like, other than that. It's the same. Yeah Yeah, so
0: you're not making it any safer right? Yeah, and that's the problem because at least in amateur boxing they have the headgear, you know, so it's like okay It's taking a little bit of blow although that's questionable, too, you know, yeah, but uh but in Like I remember in Florida when they first started with amateur MMA They were doing standing eight counts it's so, even worse. It's even worse. All right. But I, they,
1: yeah, but they don't know. The people don't know fighting. They'll do no, they don't. They, they're
0: coming from a boxing background. Oh, okay. Give them eight counts. It's going to be better for them. No, it's a lot worse. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I was on the receiving end of this. I was coaching a young athlete. And again, kind of because MMA doesn't have rankings, mm. this guy that he was fighting was a stud. Right? Like, he could have felt pro. Jacked out of his yeah. mind. Looked like he was a wrestler and whatnot and i have a guy who's like a true amateur yeah you know fighting and i'm looking I'm like this is not going to go well <laughs> <laughs> i feeling like, you just look at their phone like oh shit yeah look at these two guys this guy's partying on the weekends this guy looks like he's never fucking drank alcohol in his life yeah. he looks serious as hell. <laughs> I'm like oh god sure enough you know, the fight starts he gets dropped immediately i think it's like overhand mine right? it's like boom no. Yeah, no. eight count one i'm like oh okay. it's not gonna go well Dude, the second time, the guy takes him down, half guard, starts pounding him. There's no, oh, no, ground pound to the head. Oh. That's the other safety mode. Okay, he's getting pounded to the body, eight count. I'm like, what? Like, because the guy wasn't- Wait, wait but they
1: don't stop it,
0: though? They don't stop it. They, 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 they separated them, eight counts, started them back up on their feet. I was like, Jesus Christ, how do you lose? Yeah. <laughs> do just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, How do I lose? <laughs> So dumb because I'm looking at my brother, we're like, What the hell's going on? Yeah. and then he gets <laughs> dropped one more time, and then the round ends. right mean, in between, wrestling, looking at this guy, he wants to get out, you know what I mean? But like, he had enough heart, where he did the ring, he didn't get get out, out. but he's trapped by the rules, yeah. Know? And I was like, Oh my god, this is a nightmare. I think the round started, and the third, the next time he got dropped, and it yeah. was a body shot, they stopped the fight. Fortune, I'm like, Thank god, I mean, like, yeah. how is this gonna end? like, who thought of
1: these rules and never really visualized it? No, they they, they don't yeah. know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was totally but even in
1: boxing, I think it's brutal. The 10 count to me is retarded. Like I said, the guy just suffered a concussion. Yeah. He doesn't even remember his own name. You're going to have him fight again, get, get dropped again? And that's exactly what happens. Like, you know, at least half the time they get dropped again. And it's like concussion on concussion. I'm just looking at that and I'm going, that can't be good. No, no, it's, it's terrible know? for you. Yeah, I, they should just stop. You get dropped in your ass, you just stop the fight. Yeah. it's I don't know.
0: It, it's definitely really bad.
1: for you. I've seen amateur. I remember like I was in, in Sweden. They had shuto a B and C a Was pro and then they had B which was amateur Which was I think I don't remember what the gear was in B But in C it was like the low amateur like a beginner beginner level, right? Mm-hmm. Like it would be like the white belt division the equivalent and it was uh bigger gloves to open palm gloves Yeah, yeah. shin pads and headgear And of course it made it a nightmare to grapple with shin i mean whoever's grappled with shin pads and 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 headgear it sucks right but at the same time i was like it kind of makes sense though because if you're like you know how they have like a lot of like the winter warrior program and they're like you get all these guys that are in their early 40s and maybe they just want to fight because they want to do it before they get too old. They just want to have the experience. It's a yeah. dream of theirs. Dude, I respect the hell out of those people. I've seen like journalists do that, like businessmen and people, you know what? I'm going to do it before it's too late. And I just want to know what it's like to be in a ring, yeah. right? For people like that, having some level of protection makes a lot of sense because For they're sure. not professionals. They're not, you know, they, they don't. They don't feed themselves and their family through fighting. So right. it's different when you're, like, for example, even, like, going back to jiu like, if you allow heel hooks at the professional level, I understand the danger, but I think if you're a professional and that's how you pay your bills and that's your life, you take on that risk, yeah. right? Whereas if you're, I understand why IBJF bans it as well. Yeah. I'm, like, on the fence with that because I understand where they're coming from. Like, 90% of our practitioners, more like 95, are everyday people. Like, yeah. they don't, they can't afford to blow their knee. Right, It's too much of a risk. So I think that it makes sense to create safety barriers for other, for the lower divisions. But again, so now you create a whole new rule set, so that creates problems too. Like, IBJF doesn't want to change that because they don't want to create a separate rule set. Right. Which they kind of do already because they yeah, allow... Yeah, like, Exactly. Really and around. that's what was my argument with them. It's like, you guys are already doing it. You just got to add some new techniques to the brown and black belt level. Uh, but then, that you know, it's now it's gi and no gi. Why is it different? Because they want to create one rule set. Because the, the gi and no gi uh, rule sets are identical in BJF. Yeah. But if you add the heel hooks, it raises the question, are you going to allow it in the gi as well? Which is a part of me that wants to see that, just to see what happens. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to be that bad. Maybe it will. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's easier argument, to defend. Because I can grab your sleeve. Yeah. How do you heel hook me if I'm holding your sleeve? For sure. It might be easier to defend. Yeah,
0: I, when people talk about it, they only see the defensive... Uh, drawback in the sense that there's so much friction now that spinning escape is going to be near impossible yeah. to do, yeah. But then again, that's not the best escape to that's, do. That's you supposed exactly yes. that's the
1: argument. You're not supposed to spin, yeah. I mean,
0: that's your last ditch, you yeah. I mean, like you were slow in the uptake and you're feeling the pressure now, you have to go with it, you mm-hmm. know. what I mean, but like if you're doing everything before, like you said, yeah, if you can grab your sleeve here, that's going to make it a lot easier to pull grips, get close, twist my heel, and so I mean, uh. I guess it's the same with everything, even with, you know, with arm bars or whatnot. You know, people say, oh, it's hard to escape the arm bars, but at the same time, if you're grabbing your own stuff, I don't know. I would think yeah, it, it's, it cuts both ways. It, it, it
1: does, it does. Uh, you're right, like, getting out of it, if you're caught, will be very difficult. But then getting out of any locked submission is difficult. Yeah. Find me a submission, you're caught, and it's easy to get out of. <laughs> I'm serious, like, yeah, exactly. name, name me <laughs> one. That's yeah. a whole, exactly, the whole point is for it to be hard to get out of, yeah. you're caught, right? But I think as, at, during the fight, while they fight for the hook, if you control the sleeve, it'd be very difficult for you to catch me. And that grip is very difficult to break. It's like breaking a sleeve in 50-50 is a fucking nightmare, man. Yeah, especially it's so because hard.
0: You, you have to control the heel with one hand. At least. Yes. You're hooking here, and then you're trying to get the other hand to connect. And if I have their good hand,
1: the one that you really want, then yeah. you can't finish at all. So I, I think that, you know, it, it might not go as bad as people think it would go. There was one tournament that allowed it. It was probably my favorite competition of all time. It was Budo Challenge in 2004 or think It oh was ass. four.
0: Was that the one uh, with uh... Hicks
1: and Gracie's Budo Challenge? Yeah, I
0: was in there. I competed in that. You did? Yeah, I lost to Zanja in the first round in the region You won the gi? No, that was a no gi one.
1: Oh, there was a no gi one. I only saw the gi one.
0: No, he, there was no. I remember mean, Hicks and. Really? Yeah, I didn't know he had a no gi one. Oh, but that, you, know, you said 2004, so this one was 2007, 2000, or I think late 2000. Was the Hicks and Gracie Budo Challenge? So I, I didn't know he, he did too.
1: Yeah, he did too. Huh? Because I, I, I remember the one I competed. I lost to Shangji too. Bastard. <laughs> 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 but uh, um, I uh, uh, I love the rule set because it was three points for near submission. So they apply the IBJJF criteria, which is basically the referee has to interpret that it was a near submission, mm-hmm. and you have to be defending. Because if you're not defending, there can't be no danger by definition, right? Yeah. So it was three points for near submission and one point for position. I feel that, and I, I've made this argument a million times, they found a happy balance because they made the submission a priority which i think it should be but they didn't can position yeah i think ibgf over prioritized position submission only swung the other way and they didn't solve they solved some problems created others by only allowing submission not priority not giving positioning any value this is the reason why no one's ever going to wrestle on submission only because it makes no sense yeah unless you're both wrestlers you both really want to be on top but the style that's going to develop from that is a very anti-wrestling style right pole guard because it makes more sense strategically but when you're still given a point for a takedown, for a pass, for a sweep, it makes you like, okay, I don't want to get taken down. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to get swept. Like, that's going to cost me down the road, right? Um, and I love that rule set. And they allowed heel hooks in the gi. No one went for them, ironically. Mm-hmm. I think maybe people did, but, like, I don't remember anyone finishing a fighting heel hook, but they were legal. Um, I remember uh, Marcelo Garcia was in that tournament. He lost to Cameron Earl. Remember that guy? Yeah, yep,
0: yeah, yep. Yeah. Cameron brother. Earl.
1: Uh, he, I think he's beat Marcel a couple of times. Like he just had his Marcel's number. Yeah, for yeah, some yeah. he was the
0: one guy that had his number.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Alexandre Dantas, cafe, mm-hmm. beat Marcel a few times too, uh, and um, and then he got footlocked by Aoki, like Shinya uh, Aoki, yeah. and yeah. and yeah. I remember like I'd never seen him before. Like man, I didn't even. Like, you know, because, like, the, the, the BJJ scene was very Brazil-US still. Yes. Like, I didn't even know they had, like, the that. L- I mean, we know they had good grapplers, but, like, I said, there's no way this guy's going to beat the guy who just beat Marcel Garcia. That yeah. kind of thing, right? And I remember he broke Cameron's foot. And I remember, I mean, I got socks on, I'm going to show sure you guys. But, like, <laughs> in the middle of the foot, like, right in the middle. Like, that's where he was complaining of the pain. It wasn't like the, and it made no sense to me at the time because I'm thinking, well, it's a straight foot lock. It should be the, the Achilles. Right, like why is he complaining about and I finally, like, like years later, I start footlocking the way he was doing it Where you bite the end of the foot and you apply pressure to the top of the foot to finish And it's a much better straight footlock That's the way Felipe does, the way Cavaca does, the way I've been doing it, and I like it way more than attacking the Achilles But Aoki was doing that, like he, you get the very end of the foot and you crank it, but um Yeah, like no heel hooks though, which is surprising, but I, I, I lean towards allowing it. I think the sport would benefit a lot, even if, you know, I mean, probably more injuries overall.
0: I think what you said, just maybe allow it for pro divisions or the black belt divisions yeah. or something like that. But uh, on the side story, the Shinya Yoki, we also, my brother grappled him at ACC 2005. Same thing, didn't know who he was. Yeah. Because I remember we both drew Japanese opponents in the first round. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know who my guy was either. Fortunately, I went my way, I won that match pretty dominantly. But my brother, Fashenya he's a really good wrestler. judoka style. And they were going back and forth. And he kept doing this uh, standing arm lock. That my brother's arm, he said he felt his elbow pop every time. But he just ate it and then got back up. From and the clinch? From the clinch. From a Russian one. Yeah, he Remember? does it. Oh, done he he fights. broke uh, Justin Kwezniewski, or Keith Kwezniewski's arm. In the shooto fight, and I think that's the highlight that I yeah, saw. Yeah, yeah, you just see his arms But like snap. he
1: snaps him, man. He's mean about it. Yeah, like, no,
0: he's, he, he's really mean with that throw. Like, I mean, he's he's a, he's a mean fighter in general. Like, he yeah, like, he's not there to
1: play, no, you know, no, you know he's patty cakes like your, with you. Yeah, because yeah. there's no time to tap. It's one of those submissions. Yeah. You're either gonna hurt him or not. Yeah, it's a matter of all. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I mean, my brother got hit with that three times, and he just beat it <laughs> each <He's> time. <laughs> and he lost him in overtime, I think. And my brother's like, man, what the hell is this guy? You know.
1: I'm surprised more people don't use that in MMA when you think about it because I understand where Shinya is coming from because there's an ethic, uh, there's an ethical boundary that we we have in the gym. There's like this, this this respect towards your partner's health, but when you're in competition, I'm not saying I would do that, but at the same time, understand where he's coming from. It's a war. You're out there. You're out there to win. If you well, got to hurt someone to win, fuck. No,
0: no, it. I'll totally do that. Yeah, I, but I like teach yeah, it all the time. But so but Tavia d- is not in the gym. Like I, like I, when I sh- I show this technique uh, because uh, my brother actually. Uh, hassled them to figure out what it was. Uh, after ADCC, he's said, like, "Can you show me?" Okay. She just kept walking away. My brother's like, "Show me the move." And then he's like, "Okay." And finally, he showed him. Yeah. And he had a unique grip, which he actually, uh, rather than grabbing the wrist, he would grab like, if I grabbed your hand, he'd grab you yeah. here. So it's now he could control your elbow. Ah. So he and it's a hard grip to pull away from. Yeah. So he would from the Russian, he would grab here, and then throw right from there. And man, like you're. And he does a, kind of like a harayagoshi where he would step over your legs yeah. as well. So not only are your arm getting locked, you're going to get thrown, land in your head probably because you okay.
1: have no arms. Here's the thing about being, like, you, you have to practice that. Almost. Like, how do you get good at it? Like, how do you get good at something that hurts people? That's uh, tricky. You see what I'm saying? Because, it's, and, and it's not like, in theory, like, yeah, if I have to hurt someone to win, I'll do it. Okay. But I don't have the skills to do that. Because yeah. I never developed it. Like this guy, I mean, there's no way, how do you get good at something unless you, he has to do it in the gym. He must be doing it to people in the gym. I mean, you could to probably, develop the confidence.
0: You could probably do it in a safer way just without the arm lock. Maybe just yeah. doing the Russian 2 and 1 with the Harai. I mean, if you know how to do it the Harai Goshi, you know, just a hip throw, the only thing you're adding now is just controlling the arm.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, so I think that's a movie you could learn how to do without doing it live. Although you would probably get more experience. But at the same time, how many people's arms can you break? <laughs> in the gym? I know, I know. Uh, There's certain moves like leg scissors in the same way, you know, like
1: yeah. We've been practicing that. Yeah. Like I've been showing people the 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 the, the, the scissor takedown. I've
0: had but two brown belts break their legs. Out. I
1: blew, I blew my knee once. Yeah. Someone did it to me, and they blew my knee. Uh, it's, you can practice it, controlled environment, have a chat with people right beforehand. Like, dude, you know, this is, you have to jump kind of high, don't jump on the knee sort of thing. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't try to resist, you know, fall down when they jump sort of thing. Uh, but you, you have to, pr- I mean, it's a very, very efficient move. Like, Aoki's and the scissor takedown. These are moves that I think that we all benefit from, from learning something For sure. about them. Uh, now that I think about it, the, the Aoki one, like I should start teaching that in the MMA class. That makes so much sense. Like on the fence.
0: For, for rushing w- to it once. Yeah. Like, a, lot, a lot. of people don't. We really do it from the that. underhook too, though. Yeah, like, yeah you can go from the underhook as well. I, I, yeah, there's two
1: inside. ways. Like I, in my head, like I know, yeah. like if I have a whizzer, I can like, like yes. if I really whip it, I can pop your elbow on that whizzer, right? But if I have the underhook or if, the, if I have the whizzer, I grab your wrist, yeah. and then I can just turn away. If you have the, wizard the whizzer on me. That's the handy controls, right?
0: Yeah, I think the way he... There's two ways it, of doing it. Yeah, there's a few ways of doing it, though. I think the one of them, like, he has a video online where he shows it. It's off an underhook. He's doing the underhook, and the guy has a wizard. Yeah. Grabs here, turns, and goes. Boom. Yeah. Right, so he uses your wizard against you. But you could also get it from a Russian two-on-one similar. Your grip is going to be a slightly different, because with the underhook, yeah. your arm's going to be over his shoulder. Yeah. With the overhook, you're going to be behind his shoulder. Yeah. But you still get the same type of pressure of driving down. But yeah, it's a good move and in general, Russians are a solid move because you have control of his near arm, you know, and people are like, oh, he can punch you with a free arm. Like, with what power? Yeah. He's punching with his shoulder back like this. He's just slapping you in the face. That's the thing yeah. about
1: a lot of people that are critical of grappling. They're always like, oh, the guy's going to punch you. He's just going to punch you. And it's like, it's not that easy to punch someone in a fight. Like, yeah. not I mean, you can touch him. You're not going to hurt him. Yeah. Because think about how much technique goes into boxing to, to to create the power to knock someone outstanding. For sure. And then you're on the ground. You don't have all those mechanics. It's an arm punch. Nine out of ten, it's an arm punch. I think turtle position is the exception. That's why I always say that turtle position is the number one TKO position in the game. Is because that's the only position you can actually put your body into it and get some power out of your punches. But look at the punches from half guard, punches from side control. It, it, you know, it's mount a little bit because mount you actually got some gravity on your side, right? But even yeah. in closed guard, I think that everyone's, like, oh my god, the guy's gonna ground and pound. Like it's the scariest thing in the world. I'm like, you're looking at ground and pound from closed guard, and it's always like nine out of ten punches land to the body and they don't do any damage at all. Every the now most and people then, people don't man.
0: really know how to. On the ground like one of the things I love ground and pound yeah, and like personally I like being in the guard to throw ground and pound But you have to practice it and I don't see a lot of people people hit the bags all day They hit pads all day. Yeah. You don't see people hitting ground dummies all day Yeah, And like when I was training for MMA. I'll, most of my stuff was ground and pound. Because yeah. I had a very simple game plan I'm gonna take you down hold you down and beat I'm you to beat, beat the crap out of you. Yeah, what I mean and then if you turn over away, then I'll go for submission. Yeah but the, the, the dynamics of ground and pound is very different because most of your power comes from your hips. So when you're standing up, that's easy. But like you said, when you're ground, your hips are limited in mobility, especially in the guard. You can't really twist. Right? you kind of square. So the second way you could generate power is from your shoulders. Right? So that's why like, Fedor was a really good ground and pounder. True, and, and if you see how Fedor punches, they're all shoulder punches. Yeah, maybe his body in even it, yeah. the standing punches kind of look funky they, 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 anyway, they, yeah. they, they kind of turn over that way and he punches that way So like I model a lot of my ground pound that way a lot of my ground pound is overhands and loopy punches So I can get my shoulder behind it. Yeah, and it's also about posture you have to have a strong tall yes. posture to start yes. firing the power all the time i see people on mma like they're head to head and then doing this like, again yeah, it's, not doing it's there's nothing there the guy in bottom arguably has a better chance of cutting you with elbows and, uh, with elbows yeah. and you do that. this guy in fact like
1: that's that's an argument for ferguson beating khabib that's coming up soon yeah, because Khabib does pass with his head down a lot. Like his head is constantly down when he's grinding because he's a grinder, right? Yeah, yeah. And Ferguson's got a lot of elbows. So,
0: no, that fight. Uh, people are like making it like it's an easy Khabib fight. I think that's a very no, difficult fight for Khabib because stylistically, he's good grappler. Yeah, Ferguson is a good grappler, and uh, he's just also an animal. You know what I mean? Like that guy, like <laughs> it's not a one well, on no, I from agree. The, from the, he, I remember I had my girlfriend look it up. He had the same injury that I had, a complete ACL tear. And for me, that was like a year to get back. He fought like three or four months later. So not only did he manage to recover in that, in that span, he had a training cap at the same time. That's like, insane. That's totally nuts. Yeah. You know? So I like, think
1: it's the toughest fight for Khabib in that division yeah. is Ferguson. I gotta sure. think of... I mean, everyone's like, oh, McGregor, McGre- McGregor sells tickets, but stylistically, he's not the, the most difficult fight for a guy like Khabib. Yeah. Because Khabib can now wrestle It's that simple.
0: Now, the thing is, uh, McGregor is not a gas tank either. Yes. He, need, he needs to be able to win early yeah. or control the pace. And True. He's not able to do that with a guy Anyone like, who presses him, yeah. yeah, true. And a guy like... Uh, I mean the same thing happened with Nate when he wasn't able to put him away in the first fight he got into the deep waters and got jacked up and in the second fight even it was kind of back and forth a bit you know he won at the end so a guy like Khabib is just going to be able to pressure him and Khabib has shown that he could hurt you too Yeah. you know that like he dropped him with that overhand you know so uh, it's a much harder thing I think a guy like Ferguson is stylistically a much more dangerous matchup for him so I'm very interested in that match I think that's like and Ferguson should have been the champ you know they, because he was the champ originally and then and what happened there? He had the knee injury. Oh that's right. But yeah. I guess the UFC figured oh he's gonna be gone for a year, he's gotta relinquish the belt. But then he fought in the same event that the, that, the guy we were fighting the belt for. Yeah, like, huh. like he got a it's, deal. it's it's gotten too weird, man. Yeah. Like
1: the the UFC, like the whole bad motherfucker belt, like right? What's that? I guess they just it. they're they're just like doing weird stuff. Like it's, it's like, like
0: selling the replica belts, you know
1: that? they have what? <laughs>
0: They're selling the belts that people oh to have the belt at home. Oh, you can sell bucks. it? Anyone can buy it? How much? 850 bucks. <laughs>
1: yeah, they dev- I, I, here's the thing. I'm not the owner. Yeah. I'm no, I mean, Dana's a smart guy, smarter than me. But it just doesn't make sense to me. I think you lose so much credibility when you do that.
0: But again, you know,
1: you make money. So credibility, money, you know. I, 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 I lean towards conserving the brand. That's what I would be. Doing is try to conserve, conserve and preserve, preserve the brand for posterity. Yeah. Right. So it never loses its credibility. It goes on for centuries to be the number one MMA promotion on the planet. Right. But you know, when you give, you take, you strip people from titles, and then you have have them fight on the same card, and you strip it because they couldn't fight, but they're fighting on that card. That doesn't make. I understand. How is that? How does that even add up?
0: Yeah. That's why I didn't get. I'm like, how do you lose his belt that fast? And he was still fighting, anyways. I mean, granted, he probably is just a nutcase and should (laughs) not be able to make it to recover that fast, but still, you know, it's kind of unfair to him that now he's not making And it's a real financial cost, you know, because as a title, as a champ, not only are you making more money per fight and you're probably going to headline the event, get pay per view share, you know. That's what and everyone you, wants.
1: It's the one dollar per pay per view. That's yeah. the real deal right there.
0: And also, sponsor us, I think the, the champ gets more money than anybody else with this Reebok deal. Yeah. So I mean, it's a real kick to the nuts. That's that.
1: that's the thing. But the thing with Reebok, dude, it's not that much money. I remember no, looking at it, it and it was like these guys were getting paid like twenty five hundred to, to start the, the lower level. Yeah, the yeah, and then it goes up to fifty grand or something at the higher uh, tiers. But it, 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 which sounds like a lot, but when you're making millions. And you're making fifty thousand from it's sponsorship, it's nothing. Yeah, you know? like if
0: people like if you don't have a perspective on it before, I believe people were making more money off the sponsorship than they were off the actual fight. Back when the UFC didn't have the Reebok deal yeah. and people were able to get their own sponsors because first of all, you're not getting one sponsor, you're getting like five or six different sponsors, and you have the front of the shorts, the back of their sh- the shorts, the banner, you have your walkout gear, your yeah, cornerman attire. So you had so many spots yeah
1: you could sell that um well that the, the, the rule the rule of thumb went a good manager will get you as much as you got for your fight and sponsors yeah it's difficult thing to meet like if you're making 100 grand a fight it's not easy to sell 100 grand in sponsorships but like a good manager get close to that yeah you know like back in the day like you know the right guy right people you can get close to that number and that's so like in other words that was almost half the fighter's income yeah and it got chopped in half overnight yeah and that was a big hit MMA fighters took. And, like, it's surprising how the UFC kind of to- no, totally got away with it. like, yeah. people are complaining, but what are you going to do about it? Like, we're the UFC? And that's the thing about having, like, what is not a monopoly, but it's close to a monopoly in a lot of ways, is yeah. that you have so much leverage over people. It's like, it's take it or leave it. You you want to fight in the UFC, I'm going to pay you this much. You're not going to get any penis for sponsors.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's that. What are you going to do
0: about it? Yeah, I mean, it's- Talking to a buddy of mine that left the UFC, went to Bellator, and he's like, I'm making double the money I would have now because I can get the sponsors. Exactly. So it was like a business decision. I'm like, yeah, I don't blame you. It's a
1: lot. But the thing is that the UFC carries the prestige, and it's... Fighters, I think they're more motivated for prestige, early in their career at least, than they are for money. Later in life, I could see that changing. You know, you got family, you got bills. The money becomes a bigger factor. But I think early in life, it's more about prestige. How that's how you explain the Olympics. Yeah, that's how you explain IBJJF, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no like how how, why how do you explain people killing themselves and crying when they win? And like because it's not the money that's getting these guys out of bed every morning. It's the prestige. It's the, 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 the the sense of accomplishment, right? The the pride you have of having your hand raised. I'm a world champion. And the UFC, even though you know, they, they do pay people, they know that, and they lever, leverage that a lot against their, their fighters, because I've heard this from fighters, where they'll say no to other organizations and sign up with UFC, because they go, I just want to put the gloves on, like, it's a, it's a yeah. fetish, like, they want to put the UFC glove on, oh, so UFC, no, I... and go, because they've been watching the UFC, and those black little gloves with UFC on them for decades, man, so... It's a dream, like just putting those gloves on. Oh, is a dream. A lot so of people, they gonna leverage that against the fighters and fuck you if you don't like it.
0: I've you known know. quite a few people that once they got to the UFC, they were done. Yeah, it was a dream. Yeah, it was it. They, it. they they set their aspirations low, in my opinion, because if I'm going to the UFC, it's because I want to win the title. Yeah. But they just wanted a participation medal. And so they like, oh I'm, I got just impro-
1: impro- I mean I, I understand yeah. like why that would it's like playing for the NBA or the NFL. Like, you know, it's impressive, but I'm with you. It's like, we'll give this shit unless you're... Yeah. In my head, I'm like, you know, I never made it to the top. 10. Like, I would, ha- to me, at least make it to the top five, top give ten, maybe. To yeah. So I go like, all right, maybe I didn't win the title, but I was up there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But not just, oh, I was on an undercard, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know. Uh, but, but still, man, I think there's there's something about... The UFC is a special event, I feel like, because they, they got the whole thing going. Well, like even even yeah. BJJ owes a lot to the UFC. Oh, for sure. I don't think this... I mean, BJJ, would it exist as we know it? Would it blow up? In, I don't think it would have blown up in Brazil. You know why? Because it was dead in Brazil. There was nothing happening. Like There were people practicing, but it was like... I grew up in Brazil. I never heard of jiu-jitsu. Judo and taekwondo and karate, I knew of those. Capoeira, I know of those. I, those are popular martial arts. Jiu-jitsu as in practice by the Gracie family, i never heard of it until Gracie, you know? Yeah. And yeah. It, it was very niche, man. And, and then, you know, once Art Davy and and Horian put the UFC together, there was another guy, the third one, I can't remember his name now. But that right, then the next year, IBJJF was founded, which is interesting, they started at mm-hmm. the same time. UFC 93, IBJJF was founded in 1994, even though it wasn't called IBJJF, it was called CBJJ. Okay. But it was a similar organization. Um, but, like, I, I really think that the UFC is what got this whole martial arts revolution, what gave it a boost. It existed in Brazil. BJJ existed. MMA existed in Brazil. But there was no visibility. Yeah. You know? And you could say, like, oh, there are people in Japan that were doing the same thing. It's true. They had their Kosen Judo that's very similar to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. they had their Shuto, which is MMA, right? And it has been going on forever. But it didn't blow up, did it? Yeah. It wasn't Shuto that blew it up. you know it it, was at the end of the day it was it was the UFC
0: it was that's what got everything going yeah they need the eyeballs that's always been the problem I guess with the Japanese promotions is that they don't have enough eyeballs you know even though like you would see the stadiums like when you had Pride FC they were like loaded but pay-per-view numbers weren't there to support the model yeah they sold tickets
1: that's right but um, I think they had a TV deal that was that was profitable I'm not sure of the details I know there was like some some sketchy stuff that went in the no, background. A lot right. of sketchy stuff. Yeah, but like, like I mean, there, they, they were yeah. huge. I mean, they they had to be prof. I imagine they were profitable to some extent. Like how you, you they were selling outside Tama Arena, that's like what 120,000 people. Yeah. Like that alone, like you got to be at least cover expenses with that much. You would think.
0: You would yeah. Think, I don't know what happened, but yeah, it's a. I miss I, Pride I, though. I, I, I love the rules better. I,
1: lo- I I like the rules better too. Yeah. I like the rules. I like, but my favorite thing. About pride was the audience, the crowd. Yeah, they were so crowd. respectful, man. And I, I maybe I'm I'm Japanese in some ways, but because like when I when I see MMA, I don't see a bar fight. I see a ceremony. I see two warriors, people that are very dedicated, and I understand how dedicated these guys are, and I understand how much it means to them. This is not a bar fight. Yeah, this is not hate. Oh, MMA is violence. The I mean, violence involves hate. There's no hate in there. This right. is just love may is love, it's passion. I'm in there because I got to prove a point to myself. Or maybe it's to your dad because you're pissed off at that or to someone else, whatever yeah. the case is. But there is there, there, there's a passion there, right? It's nothing against the person across. In fact, you really respect, you might talk trash about that person to sell tickets. Yeah. And I understand. The truth of the matter is you really respect that person. That person kept you up at night. Yeah. That person was stopping you from sleeping. That's how much you respect. If you were killing yourself on that treadmill, right because you respect him so much you really don't want to lose them. yeah you know so and 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 I feel that the crowd was a manifestation of this ceremony right in Japan whereas you get the Western crowd it's you know what are you doing lay on top of them you know that's gay or they'll yeah. go bo, they'll be booing or you know and as I can't even watch it from the crowd man, it drives me crazy no it, it,
0: it is a very different scene you know uh, it's just a different vibe. So I can appreciate, like, I've actually, like, one of the weird experiences I had was fighting a Bodog fight because there was no crowds. At least at the, the shows that I went to, they were taped in, like, secluded areas. So the only crowd were other fighters Yeah and coaches. So it's kind of weird because you're hearing, like, 20 people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, but there's cameras everywhere, and, you know. Uh, the, the You're sort of,
1: expecting the noise. Yeah, yeah, so it's
0: kind of the, the weirdest one was when I fought in Costa Rica, because we're fighting at ten o'clock in the, in the morning, which is odd for a fight. Yeah. You know I mean? So you wake up, say, "Oh, I got to fight like a," <laughs> <laughs> that is weird. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I remember actually, Masvidal was cornering me in that one. So he had lost my mouthpiece. I had to. Get like a boil and bite bag, you know those yeah. cheapy one, ninety nine cents one, and boil it in the coffee water. Yeah. So it was a horrible. The whole horrible thing job. was yeah. I remember, and it was like that bottom of the bag I had pubic hair, and it was disgusting. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Christ. So we had to put that in, <laughs> and I remember the walkout was on the beach. So they had the the ring on the beach with a big canvas on top so you're walking to the beach and i'm walking like man, this doesn't make any sense this, this is weird. Yeah. this is so weird and then you have to you see the ocean right there and the waves crashing yeah. so it's like the the sound was totally off i remember I, it didn't feel like i was walking into a fight you know but uh you yeah. don't get that that, uh, that environment like really messes people up like i think that's why like people who do like ultimate fighter or when they're doing those t- Tape closings and like, how come they're they don't fight as good as when they find it? Because it's a very different feel, you know. Like yeah. I imagine the Ultimate Fighter experience must be very weird because you're living in the place uh, where you're close by to where you're, gonna you're be hanging fighting, out you're, with the people you're fighting. Hanging out with the it's people more time I, and you're, be, you're being watched by like twenty people also. I yeah. could
1: never. I, I was I've been a coach on Ultimate Fighter three times. Yeah. The first time I was very close to being on the. Um, actually, I, I actually. I tried to be on the show as a fighter, but the one that uh, the Frank Mir was uh, going against the Nogueira, Vinny oh, okay. was on there. <clears throat> and then you know what happened was like they had just changed the rules. You had to be at least three professional fights to be on there. Mm. Before the, 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 the previous season, they allowed Sorry, people 0-0. Yeah. So like, oh, i in, and they had just changed the rules, so I couldn't get on there. But <clears throat> like after I was in there as an assist, as an assistant coach, I'm like, thank God I didn't do this. I could have never. No way, man. I, I, it's just like, they're in your face every day. Cameras in your face every day. The drama, the BS, and you gotta fight your friends. You're supposed to like this person, hang out with them, and you gotta fight them the next day. You yeah. can drink, you can't drink. I remember one time, they were getting an earful for, for drinking, right? So they have the cameras showing them pulling all the alcohol out of the house. This is a chance of a lifetime, blah, blah, blah. You guys shouldn't be partying. So they have the cameras are showing them pulling all the alcohol out of the house. And as soon as the cameras were gone, like, they're bringing it back in. And I saw, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, right? They're not serious. Like, it's like, that's when I saw, it. it's like everything is a show.
0: Yeah.
1: Like none of it is actually real. Like every single. And then the people, they fall into it too. Like, because once you realize that it is a show, these guys are an actors, So it's reality TV, but it's not really real. Because yeah. they, they know that they're being filmed. So they change. So they start acting the way they normally wouldn't act. And you see these people that are yelling at each other. And I'm like, you guys don't dislike each other. Why are you yelling at each other? Why are you talking to each other like that? Nothing ever happened. And you're like, oh, the cameras are on. you got to entertain the crowd. So they turn into actors, but without a script. That's what happens. It's they're actors with no script. Yeah,
0: I mean, I was part of a reality show. uh, There was like the Spanish (laughs) judge show. And it was such a retarded premise. It was like the, the son wanted to be a cage fighter. And the mom didn't want him to be a cage fighter, so they brought them over to our gym to train him and show the mom that he could do well and whatnot. Yeah. It was all fake; like the mom wasn't yeah. the mom. It was just somebody. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Was reality no, rea- show, reality yeah.
1: TV show is not a good name. No. I think you should should be like a loose script acting kind of something like because they uh, it doesn't really it doesn't really mm-hmm. up- portray people in the, in their real selves. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, the only way you would do it would be like that movie with jim carrey when they don't know they're being filmed
1: what was it called i know what you're talking about
0: i can't remember it i know what you're talking about it's yeah. a good movie yeah he's in the big do- the dome, the biodome big or globe or yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. yeah. then you see people behaving like they actually would if they don't know they're being filmed yeah but that's illegal so. <laughs> <laughs> true
1: all right dave i think it's uh it's time need to get back to it. I go grab some lunch.
0: Yep, yep. You've been training, man? I in the gym in a it's while. just weightlifting, you know. Dude, get back in there, man. I got to get back in. The thing, this wrist is getting better. <coughs> it's just, I had, I've done a couple privates here, and it's feeling a little better. Yeah. I remember the one time I, I went there, like, I think it was last year, like, <laughs> no better. <laughs> just remember my wrist was just getting jacked up, like, like, bad, you know. But I feel
1: the thing about my, my hands, too, is like, the, the less, because I have all these wrist injuries, so yeah. the less I train, the weaker they get.
0: Yeah,
1: and it's hard to come back. And then when you start trying to get them back in shape by using them, they start hurting again. So you can either be in no pain and completely out of shape, or get your hands in shape and be in a lot of pain. Yeah,
0: it's well, like you
1: can't, you can't be have your hands conditioned no, you can't, you can't and not nothing. be in pain. Yeah,
0: no, I've been, I've been weight training and doing deadlifts and squats and bench presses. So like it's, I feel it every day because every time I'm doing these lifts, it's, yeah. it hurts and forearm curls and stuff. It just gets better. But I've been using that little wrist brace. To yeah. Keep it, it helps keep it a little bit straighter because like, the mechanism of the injury didn't make any sense to me. I was doing a, a straight arm pull-down, just on the cables, doing this, and in the middle of the pull, it just popped really loud right like here. went, crack! Yeah. And I was like, what the hell? I'm like, oh, maybe it was just like a random crack, and then no, my arms started locking up, and yeah. I felt my hands start going down, like, oh, that's not good. Yeah, uh, it's just. Been, I've had weird
1: injuries like that, like out of nowhere, just. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tore my meniscus sitting down. No one believes me. I like I just, I, like I was, I, was, I was in class. I remember I did this right here. And I leaned on my knee and I felt it. I'm like, fuck, what is that? And after that, my knee was never the same. I needed surgery. But I mean, it was probably that was just like the the, cataclysm, yeah, the yeah. I just came from like two camps back to back. And but I just leaned on the knee, boop, and I felt it. But
0: yeah, you never know. I have similar things with my shoulder. I remember I was in next to the cage watching a fighter, yeah. and then I went to reach over like, to give him a fist bump. Popped your shoulder. <laughs> <The> Dumb as <laughs> shit. I'm not even the one fighting. Like, what? Yeah. How does this happen? Yeah. I,
1: I think a body being stressed will do that. Like, you're more likely to, like, anything will.
0: Yeah, you know, it's like when people get injured, you usually get injured at the end of the training session. Because, why? You're tired. You're starting to let your guard down. Yeah. So makes really, sense. You, you always got to be Like, I've popped so many ribs and you, stuff you know what right I do. towards the end of training. And that's why, like, now, like, I remember when I started coming, like, when I came here to start training with you, remember, I'll tell you, I just need to sit out. You know, like, and I remember, like, back in the day, I would never sit out of a round because that's being a bitch, you know what I mean? But, like, here, I'm like, I know I got to respect the limits now, you know, because yeah. I know, like, when I start feeling a little bit off in my head, I'm like, okay, let me stop now because. If I don't respect this feeling, I, I know that there's a, there's a chance I could get hurt. Maybe I yeah. won't, but I know that there's a good probability that I will, so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to...
1: You know what, uh, I, gotta, I try to do that with my guys, because I know that you, people get injured the, the very last round. It's always the one that people get injured, so I never tell them it's the last round, and what I would do is if I want to give them another push is I, I, I control it. So it's like hard drilling, and like takedowns back to back, like something that you could push them physically, yeah. but it's controlled. It's not live. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, it's such a common theme, man. The last final round, hey guys, final round, hard push. And I think people they're because their guard is down because they're tired and they're you know, the less the body being not as sharp probably yeah. doesn't take care of itself as well. But they okay. tend to push even harder because it's the final round, right? So trying to be careful. But uh, let's do this again soon, Dave. And uh, I'll catch you again when? Let's do this again next next Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. All right. Good shit. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you for watching. And I'll see you guys next time.
0: Thank you for listening in. I hope you guys enjoyed the convo. And um, like I said, excuse the little static ruffling. I'll make sure next time that Rob's mic doesn't curl into his shirt too much. And we won't let that happen again. Uh, other than that, like as always, please feel free to leave your comments, suggestions, anything like that, so that uh, we can learn and improve uh, from each show. Thanks again and have a wonderful day. A final word from one of our sponsors, bjjretreat.com. So, if you've been wanting to escape and have a vacation, but also have an excuse to train jujitsu, Look no further than bjjretreat.com. <clears throat> On that site, I'm going to be hosting. Uh, well, they're gonna. I'm going to be hosted by Absolute MMA, which is actually the camp that uh, Lachlan Giles and Craig Jones come from, and they have a camp in Phuket, Thailand. And I'm going to be there from April 5th to the 14th, so it's like a nine-day camp. Going over all sorts of stuff. Of course, Kimura Trap System is going to be on display, but I'm also going to cover some of my other courses, like the Backtrap System and um, and the Switch Series. So you'll definitely want to check it out. We still have some spots available, so visit bjjretreat.com. All the packages include the lodging and meals, and uh, of course, all the training and excursions as well. Of course, you have to take care of your flight. But uh, go ahead, visit bjjretreat.com learn more about it.